You are listening to Revolver Podcast. Want to grow your own weed but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like Godbud, The Perps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto-flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot home of cannabis champions since 2002. Please check your local state and national laws before ordering. It's time to roll up those joints, pack those bowls, and fire up those nails. Because you're listening to Blazing with Bobby Black. Greetings, cannabis enthusiasts, and welcome to another edition of Blazin'. As always, I am your host, Bobby Black. Well, Election Day is just one week away, folks, bringing uh, to a close the longest, craziest, and nastiest campaign season in our lifetimes. Uh, Despite his abrasive, divisive, and dangerous rhetoric, or perhaps because of it, uh, not to mention the allegations of sexual assault, misconduct, and the total lack of support from the GOP, Polls indicate that Republican nominee Donald Trump somehow still stands a chance of becoming our next president. And even if he loses, it seems uh, likely that at best he'll challenge the outcome of the election or at worst lead some sort of armed revolution of right-wing militias, uh, a revolution that will uh, without a doubt be televised. But as we watch this reality show circus of a political process unfold, it's important that we as cannabis users don't lose our faith or focus As there are a staggering nine states, I believe, uh, nine states with various marijuana legalization measures on the ballot, which, if passed, will surely hasten our march towards the end of pot prohibition. Oddly enough, though, there are some segments of the cannabis community that are actively working against some of these measures, uh, causing a schism amongst stoners almost as bad as that between the Democrats and the Trumpeteers. Uh, With me today to break it all down, discuss the various measures, and try to make sense of it all. Uh, is quite possibly the smartest and hardest-working journalist in the cannabis media today. He's logged over 3,000 podcast hours and 400 published writing credits as a controversial columnist for High Times, my old job, Uh, (laughs) as well as Huffington Post and other outlets. He's also the former head of Oregon Normal and host of the Russ Belville Show on Cannabis Radio, my friend, Radical Russ Belville. How's it going, Russ? Uh, It's going great. Thanks for having me on the show, Bobby. Nice talking to you. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry it's taken this long, but uh, I'm happy to have you here right before the big election. Uh, you've been doing a lot of coverage uh, online. Uh, I've noticed. I've been following it. So tell me, uh, what, what have you been up to besides generating hilariously sarcastic memes that mock the forces against legalization? <laughs> well, uh, I'm preparing for the election night. Uh, I'm hosting six hours of live coverage on CannabisRadio.com, and we're doing this you know, like CNN or MSNBC or Fox would do an election night show and have all the polls count down and get the latest election results in and have the video screen. 
that's what we're going to do, but we're going to do that for all the marijuana reform measures that are on the ballot, and not just the five legalization and the four medical ones that are statewide, but there's decrim measures in Ohio, there's tax uh, measures in, in Washington, bans in Oregon, a social use initiative in Denver. There's a whole lot of news to cover, and, and that's what we're going to be covering. Cool. Well, let's let's jump right into some of that then. Um, I mean, I, I'm you know, not aware of every single decrim bill that's going on in the country, uh, but I am aware of the major ones in the states. I know Nevada, uh, Maine, Arizona, Massachusetts, Florida, Arkansas, uh, Montana, North Dakota, and of course, California all have various laws, uh, some like medical, as you said, some full adult use legalization. Let's do like a quick breakdown. Um, so, uh, uh, a lot of them have a lot of similarities, it seems. Uh, possession of one ounce for adults seems to be a fairly standard thing across the board. Uh, 21 and over, obviously, is a pretty standard thing across the board. Um, but they each one varies a little bit from state to state in what they allow. Also, six plants seems to be it now apparently the agreed upon amount that's allowed <laughs> yeah. for legalization to grow for yourself. I, where did they get that number it's from? It's a magic you know, six, half dozen. That, that sounds good. That sounds right. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, there's all the vagaries involved in all of these things, such as uh, do clones count as six plants? Are they mature plants or immature plants? There's all these little gray areas that need to be fleshed out, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. And uh, there are some differences with uh, the different initiatives out there. You mentioned the standard of it being kind of a one-ounce thing. Uh, a lot of folks don't realize it's kind of a sleeper, but up there in Maine, they've got uh, an initiative that's going to be one of the if not the most uh, liberal of the uh, legalization states. They've got uh, two and a half ounces that they're going to be allowing, including concentrate. So you can have up to two and a half ounces of concentrate in the state of Maine. <laughs> I was like, oh. uh, they don't even differentiate between the two. No, yeah. so it, basically it's uh, whatever you have, you can have two and a half ounces of it. So it could be concentrate, flour. If you got edibles, the edibles could only have up to two and a half ounces in the edibles and so forth. Okay, so they're not counting the weight of the edible, though. Yeah, thank, uh, well, like, yeah, we don't know. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> one of those things in the initiative where they say they don't. It's kind of not said, so it's probably up to a court to decide when someone gets busted for it. Yeah, and that's unfortunately the case with most of these laws. Um, so, in let's just do a quick rundown. Like I said, in Nevada, um, one of the things I noticed that was different in the Nevada bill is that you're you're only allowed to grow if you do not live within 25 miles of a marijuana store. I mean, that is that is that what it says? That's yeah. kind of weird. Yeah, of these five, if Maine is the one that's most liberal, Nevada is the one that's most conservative. It's yeah, it's got what they call a 25 mile halo. If there's a pot shop, draw a circle 25 miles around that, and if you live within that circle, you don't get to home grow. Well, in Nevada, that's going to be everybody in Vegas, everybody in Reno, everybody in the major uh, urban areas. And then, you know, the only people that can home grow are going to be living out there in Lovelock or Eli or some way out in the desert place. So that's unfortunate. Nevada also has the highest uh, public toking felony. If you get caught or felony, a uh, penalty, I should say, uh, uh, $600 misdemeanor. Uh, so if they catch you out smoking a joint on the strip or something, misdemeanor $600 fine. So that's pretty that's pretty punitive. Yeah, and it's weird because you would think Nevada would be one of the most liberal considering it's, you know, Vegas is known as a city of vice and uh, you know, so you would think that they would be pretty open to that. Uh I've heard rumors that they're going to have a uh sort of a green light district or something of that mm -hmm. nature in Vegas where people will be able to uh get and consume cannabis either in casinos or near casinos or in in, you know, like in part of that whole uh Vegas vibe. Yeah, and, and Nevada is a special case politically in that you have the great influence of the casino industry, hotel, uh, tourism, and alcohol. Uh, Sheldon Adelson, the casino billionaires, donated a million or so bucks there in Nevada. You've got the uh, like the, the MGM Sands or Grand, uh, the uh, uh, couple of the other casinos. The beverage distributors uh, actually were written into the initiative to be the distributors of cannabis, specifically to try to keep them from being opposing of the initiative. So there's a lot of influence of alcohol and casino going on there. Well, that's an interesting dynamic. Uh, I know that in some other states, uh, Washington and, and in your state of Oregon, uh, the Liquor Control Board has been a big hurdle for a lot of, uh, especially for cannabis events, but for other reasons because uh, they were put in charge of the cannabis uh, regulation and uh, they're 
not doing maybe the best people to be in charge of it. <laughs> right. You know, uh, marijuana ain't alcohol. And the, the people with the mindset of dealing with a harmful, dangerous, addictive drug that you know, causes a lot of mayhem in society. If you've got that mindset going into trying to regulate cannabis, that's where you come up with, you know, you can only have six plants in an ounce. <laughs> so you're still thinking <laughs> it's some sort of dangerous substance. So that's been difficult, but more difficult sometimes is convincing people there should be a new bureaucracy added in addition to what we've already have to deal with as taxpayers. You know, most people don't smoke pot. They just think government waste. And so turning it over to the liquor boards in some cases is a political decision to be able to, to just get it passed. But you're right. It, it should be separately regulated. It's a, it's a different sort of substance. And, and in contrast to that, uh, Maine, which you just referenced, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they put the Department of Agriculture and Forestry yeah. in charge of it, which is, is a different way to go for sure. I don't know. Uh, I guess, uh, I mean, are they equipped to deal with that? And is that a better option? I, you know, it's worth uh, attempting. You know, uh, the Justice Louis Brandeis once said the states are the laboratories of democracy. Well, let's have some more experiments. Let's see what happens if an agriculture department regulates a plant. What, <laughs> wouldn't that be interesting, right? And, and, and yeah. the people in Maine seem to get it more as far, at least, at least through this initiative, seem to get it more as far as the, the agricultural aspect. Uh, you mentioned the, the six plant thing. In, in Maine, their initiative is going to allow six mature plants, 12 immature plants, and an unlimited number of seedlings. So that's even more progressive than any of the other states at this point. Yeah, that's, that's pretty progressive. And then, so let's keep running down the list. Uh, Arizona has Proposition 205, the Legalization and Regulation of Marijuana Act. Once again, we're dealing with one ounce, uh, a taxed and regulated recreational industry, six plants, pretty standard stuff. Um, I think, uh, and I don't know if the other states are this, but in, in Arizona, the, the plants have to be grown inside of a locked space indoors. Do any of these states uh, really, it seems like most of them are only allowing cultivation if it's indoors. It varies. Uh, the, it, that's usually the, the presumptive uh, minimum. It is Like in the California Act, the Prop 64, uh, they're going to guarantee that you can grow six plants indoors. But whether or not you can grow outdoors is subject to the locality and, and other zoning and regulations. Uh, so at least indoor is being protected. And when it is... You have to usually have it, you know, out of public view and in a locked and closed space. Right. And then also in, in uh, Arizona, they're going to be creating one of those uh, bureaucracies that you just mentioned. Uh, mm -hmm. They're going to be creating a new Department of Marijuana License and Control, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think maybe having an, having an organization that's specifically targeted and fine-tuned to the issues and problems of the cannabis industry, which is a unique industry, is probably a good thing. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And there's some other interesting things about Arizona. Uh, there was a donation of a half million dollars from a pharmaceutical company that makes fentanyl, you know, the drug that killed Prince, uh, Michael Jackson and such. Or no, that was Propofil yeah. with Michael Jackson. Yeah. But uh, uh, this drug manufacturer is also working on uh, development of a synthetic cannabinoid uh, medicine. So they're donating hmm. to try to stop legalization. Uh, the discount tire company gave a million dollars. Uh, so a lot of things are happening in Arizona, and it's, it's interesting in a couple of ways. Uh, they come up with a couple of protections that we need to have in our legalization laws, uh, protections for child custody and family court that you can't be discriminated against just because you're a cannabis consumer and lose your kids or visitation or anything like that, and the protection for organ transplants. You know, they kick people off a waiting lists if they find you've got metabolites in your system that would be protected under the arizona law and they are protecting our rights to drive by insisting in the law it, it's written in a way that says you can't be punished solely for having metabolites or even active metabolites in your system they're going to have to prove impairment as they should yeah, I mean, that's been one of the criticisms, of course, in Colorado and some of the other states that have legalized so far is uh, that 0.5 uh, microgram uh, rule. Yeah. Nanogram, which is which is which is ridiculous. I mean, you could have that in your system if you smoked days ago. Right. And you wouldn't even be high. Absolutely. And, and how is that in any way by anyone's measure a fair gauge of whether you're impaired? It's it's silly. Exactly. It's just, it, it's not silly for the people that get arrested and put in prison. No. <laughs> That's not silly, but uh, you know, I'm just saying it's uh, it's an absurd uh, standard. 
And then we have uh, Massachusetts, which is question four. And I know you were just recently at the Boston Freedom Rally um, covering it. Uh, I miss – it's been a few years since I've been able to go to the Boston Freedom Rally. I miss it. It's such a fun event. Uh, A lot of good people up there. Um, And uh, I I know that 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 question is also a bit contentious. Like California, there are activists that are against question four, are there not? Yeah, it's not as vocal and I don't think as many at this point. I think there's uh, it's it's subsided more in Massachusetts and it's increased more in California. Uh, the Massachusetts one, uh, like you said, has pretty much like the rest of them, uh, six plants to grow with a household limit of 12. But one thing they do a little different with their grow, uh, all the rest of them, and, and this is something that you know Oregon and uh, a couple of, uh, at least Washington could add, is the ability to possess the results of your harvest. Here in Oregon, you're allowed to have four plants, which is you know tough, and eight ounces. Well, okay, so I'm only growing two ounces per plant. I mean, Bobby, <laughs> Bobby, I'm no grower, but I can do two ounces a plant. Okay. <laughs> So this, the results of the harvest rule is what they have in Colorado, which is when you harvest, as long as you're keeping it at the grow site, you can have that. And I've always theorized that that's really an infinite limit, isn't it? Officer, this 200 pounds is the results of my harvests all over the years, right? But the uh, ones, they, they, have all, they have this in all five of the, the ones voting, but Massachusetts is different because it's results of the harvest and 10 ounces, which means even if you don't grow, you can have 10 ounces at your home. Oh, see, because I saw the 10-ounce part, and I thought maybe when you said the results of the harvest that they were limiting the results of the harvest to the 10 ounces, but that's in addition to the in harvest. In addition to. So that takes – you know, for someone here in Oregon that is caught with, oh, you know, eight ounces in their house, but they don't grow, well, could they be subject to penalty then? Because that's, the re- that's not a result of any harvest. You'd always have to be able to prove that you'd been growing. Not in Massachusetts. You can have at least 10 ounces even if you're not growing. Wow. So what are the big objections to the question for in Massachusetts? Uh, and, and again, we will get to uh, the California mm-hmm. law and the objections to that uh, in the second half of the program, everybody. But uh, for now, uh, what is the objections in Massachusetts to question four? Part of it uh, stems from there being two groups, two initiatives that had been working. Uh, the one, this CRIMLA, they call it, Campaign for the Re- uh, regulation of marijuana like alcohol. Uh, and then there's Bay State Repeal, which was the more grassroots uh, supported and more liberal of the two. And it didn't make the ballot. And so what happens is some people think that they were deciding between which of those two we like better instead of are we choosing between legalization and prohibition? And so that's, I think that's come, some of the people have come around to that now and realized that, okay, at least question four is better than, you know, continuing prohibition. Uh, other people tend to disagree with these things on arcane kind of you know, regulatory matters that this fee is too high or this tax is too uh, problematic, which isn't really so much a concern in Massachusetts. They're going to have the lowest tax of any legal state. It's something like 6% total when you add it all up. But it's always, some, it's always something, uh, and it's sometimes hard to understand where it's coming from. Uh, I can't understand people that would want to continue the power of police to be able to upend our lives over the smell of marijuana. And that's, I, it just baffles me. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Uh, I, I definitely think that there are, you know, a lot of laws have some downsides and some uh, negative points to them that I can understand the objections. But overall, I would say unless it's a terrible law, like I believe Ohio's was a couple of years ago, that one I I think I was kind of most people were happy didn't pass. Um, but most of them, I, I would say I would, you know, be in favor of supporting. Um, let's just quickly go through the, the medical uh, initiatives that are on the ballot as mm-hmm. well. So in Florida, we have uh, Amendment 2, and that is to provide for medical use of marijuana for individuals with debilitating medical conditions. Is that just a standard medical marijuana law? Is there anything unusual about it? Uh, This is – I don't believe the Florida law has home grow in it. I think this is one of these dispensary laws, but they will be able to have access to the whole plant, unlike what we've seen transpire in some of the new medical marijuana states like New York, Minnesota, and Pennsylvania. Uh, the condition list is pretty standard as far as the, the big eight, cancer, cachexia, AIDS, uh, the uh, nausea, seizure, spasm, pain, those sorts of conditions. And... Uh, 
beyond that, it, no, there's not much different from it as far as your standard uh, medical marijuana law. It's better than a lot of the ones that have been passed on the East Coast recently. Yeah, and uh, how, the other thing that that's always been a, a something that I've been very interested in is uh, I've been a, a kind of a champion for veterans in medical marijuana when I was working at High Times and hosting the veteran panels and stuff. And are we seeing more of uh, are more of these medical laws starting to take PTSD into account, or really not so much? No, they are. The m- more and more states are adding uh, post traumatic stress to their uh, condition lists and uh, they're continuing to recognize that it's getting a lot of traction now uh, among the veterans community and within our congress there has been a significant move uh, through my congressman earl blumenauer and others who are pushing for that for the va doctors uh, to be able to recommend it's something that had uh, passed both houses the house and the senate but in reconciliation and the final bill got stricken somehow and uh, so we don't we don't we still don't have that protection for our veterans yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, I know that there were some big uh, champions. I know Cory Booker and Kristen Gillibrand fought for the was it the CARES Act? I believe it was. That's called. right, the CARES Act. And and uh, and you know there was. It seemed like there was getting a lot of momentum and support for it. And uh, I really hope that it continues to move forward because uh, you know uh, so far the the evidence was mostly anecdotal from veterans, but there has been medical evidence now starting to build up to show why. Uh, cannabinoids are so good for PTSD by helping helping veterans forget uh, the, the things that are keeping them awake and causing them trauma and enabling their brains to kind of defocus from that and let go of that. Uh, and I, I know uh, from personal experience, just all the vets that I've been uh, spoken to or had the fortune of having on my panel, they they all say it's it's saved their life basically. Save them from from suicide in some cases. Yes, I've heard that so much myself as well, and uh, that's why we have to move. So we have to move forward at the state level. If the, if the federal government's not going to move, we're going to pull them into this eventually. Absolutely. So also we have uh, North Dakota, which is uh, again seemingly a pretty standard medical marijuana law, allows up to three ounces of possession, uh, and then they do allow you to grow your own there, um, as well as get from dispensaries. Uh, it seems like, um, and then there's a couple of uh, a couple of uh, unusual ones. Montana is actually voting to reinstate the medical marijuana mm-hmm. law that they already passed and that was stricken down. Uh, uh, was it uh, Initiative 182 or something? That's um, right. What ha- what happened with that whole thing? Why they had medical marijuana? It was going, and then somehow it got shut down. Montana is just the most roller coaster story. It begins when they <laughs> pass medical marijuana in 2004. They have a, a standard, you know, you can grow some cannabis, you can possess it, you can have a caregiver who grows it and helps you out with it. And like other states in the West, like Washington, California, they stretch that meaning of caregiver to be, hey, I grow marijuana and have a whole bunch of it, and here at my counter in my store, you can come buy some. Uh, That was never really written into the Montana law, but soon enough, you had these storefront caregivers that were distributing cannabis to these uh, patients. And, of course, once access was possible, there were more and more patients. And eventually, their uh, caregiver or their their patient roles grew to about 30,000 patients. They had uh, numerous, uh, like a thousand or so, 1,400 caregivers, you know, growers who were supplying medicine. And in reaction to that, And also in reaction to some other scandalous stuff going on with doctors and and Skype exams and things that looked kind of shady to the general Montana population, the legislature passed this law that completely gutted their – actually, they they started by repealing the medical marijuana law, and that made it to the governor's desk, but the governor vetoed it. So then they passed a law that basically gutted the medical marijuana law, and the governor let that one become law without his signature, and it – mandated that a caregiver could only care for three patients and any doctor that recommended for more than 25 patients a year would be audited by the medical board. Well, in reaction to that, dispensaries closed down, patient rolls went from uh, 30,000 to 13,000, registered uh, caregivers dropped, and this was subject to a lot of court challenges, went through a lot of battles, but the final result was uh, the Montana Supreme Court just this year upheld all of it, And as of September, all those people that were getting uh, medicine from all those different caregivers, uh, about nine out of 10 of them just lost their grower. And that's where they're at now. Initiative 182, if it passes, would restore that 
uh, medical marijuana program back to the way it was where they could and explicitly define that there would be dispensaries to take care of these patients in Montana. Okay, so that's a real important one that we should really be rooting for. It sounds important. I know those people in Montana are probably sick and tired of all that runaround <laughs> and waiting no and trying to figure it out and stuff. And then finally, uh, another kind of confusing one seems to be Arkansas because they have two different issues on the ballot and that are – I don't know if they're somewhat conflicting, but I was a little confused reading about it. Well, Maybe you can clarify. Yeah, there is brand news, breaking news on this. There may be two of them on the ballot, but only one of them will be voted on. Uh, there is issue six and issue seven, and the Arkansas Supreme Court decided yesterday that issue seven uh, is stricken from the ballot because there was a problem with their signature gathering. That was uh, brought about by a lawsuit by a normal legal committee lifetime member in Arkansas named Kara Benka, and her lawsuit was successful, and it was backed by the issue six people helping her out to defeat this other, get this other initiative off the ballot. The issue seven was a more liberal one. It had like 56 qualifying conditions, allowed people with hardship exemptions to be able to grow their own cannabis, Issue six is stricter, has fewer conditions, doesn't allow any home grow, and it's the only one uh, that will be voted on at this point. That's unfortunate, and it highlights the uh, the schism within the cannabis community that uh, I want to address in our second segment. So what we're going to do is now we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, and we will be right back with more of the Blazin election special with Radical Russ Belleville. Want to grow your own weed but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top-quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like Godbud, The Perps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto-flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot home of cannabis champions since 2002. Please check your local state and national laws before ordering. All right, and we are back. Welcome back to our special election edition. Uh, my guest today is renowned uh, cannabis journalist and podcaster, Radical Russ Belleville. Welcome back, Russ. Thanks, Bobby. So uh, in the first half, we were talking a lot about all the different initiatives that are going on around the country uh, for cannabis legalization, medical decriminalization, all that stuff. Uh, and now I want to kind of focus on the big one because uh, I'm out here in Cali now and so Southern California. Uh, happy to be out here after spending uh, a lot of time in my whole life in New York, which is not the most cannabis friendly place, <laughs> at, le at least not legally. And uh, so here out here, we have Prop 64, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, or as it's lovingly referred to, ALMA, um, <laughs> or oh, not wow. so lovingly. So he, there is a giant schism going on with this one. I don't know if it's divided in half necessarily, but it seems like more people are for it than against it. But the people who are against it have been very vocal. So I want to do a breakdown of this law. Uh, and you did a great piece online that I that I read that really helped clear up a lot for me uh, because I've been on the fence about this myself. You know, and my natural inclination is always to be for legalization. But right. I was reading so many negative things about it from, from people I respect, not right. just crackpots and wingnuts, but people I respect in the community having real issues with it and saying that it would be a disaster. So I 
you know, as an educated voter and as a, a thoughtful person in the cannabis community, I don't want to just blindly, you know, rubber stamp some law. I want to understand it and read it before I cast my vote. So I've been doing a lot of research on it and, you know, listening to people, voices on both sides of the issue that I respect. But your piece kind of really uh, – you're kind of like the marijuana mythbuster in a way. Um <laughs> You really broke down a lot of the criticisms and, and kind of countered them. So I want to go through that. First of all, let's just start off by saying who is for this or more importantly, who is against this bill? Who is for this bill is a list of all of the uh, major marijuana reform organizations on the national level as well as within California. Uh, we've got also the uh, the uh, ACLU of uh, California as well as the NAACP of California endorsing the measure. Uh, the lieutenant governor, Gavin Newsom, who's been... Uh, a strong champion of changing uh, these laws has uh, been uh, in front of this issue as well. We've got uh, the California Democratic Party and the Green Party, the uh, LGBT Democratic Club, a couple of them, uh, a lot of uh, great social justice supporting types of organizations. Uh, then you look on the other side and it's cops. It's cops and DAs and a bunch of city councils that have banned marijuana and uh, uh, Project Sam, you know, Kevin Sabet's organization sitting there, tons of chiefs of police uh, and so forth. Right. Well, that's the that's the usual suspects. So yeah. who are the unusual suspects? You brought up Kevin Sabet and I noticed you posted a commentary about uh, there was a news conference on uh, October uh, 27th at the Hilton in San Francisco. And you pointed out that here was Kevin Sabet, the leading voice, basically the modern day Harry Anslinger. Mm -hmm. uh, standing there shaking hands with and in support of with marijuana medical marijuana business owners and groups like stoners against legalization which is an oxymoron i mean really <laughs> um so what's what's going on there who are these people that are standing with the prohibitionists against this bill yeah uh kevin sabet uh recruited uh, some people among these uh medical marijuana and other folks in california that uh oppose proposition 64 that are also cannabis consumers uh for this photo op this this uh press op at the uh in san francisco and they are well they include folks like letitia pepper who's a riverside attorney it includes um uh, dennis perone the famous you know one of the co-authors of the founder of this medical marijuana movement in san francisco prop 215 uh steve cubby is involved there's there's many people uh, who've contributed to this but the people that were there at the event uh, were Jamie Kerr from the 530 Collective in Shasta and Sean Kiernan from the Weed for Warriors Project and a couple other folks whose uh, names escape me at the moment. Now, I, I've got, of course, my disagreement with people that are against Prop 64, but that's one thing. To give aid and comfort to a bet Kevin Sabet, a man who has said that medical marijuana programs are a joke – uh, who has demeaned and insulted us uh, regularly in the media, to stand with him and help him to be a knowing prop for him, uh, that just went beyond the pale for me. It's a new low, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, obviously Dennis Perone is a very respected uh, figure in the community. He's someone that is a lifelong crusader and you know, you would think that he doesn't, you know, I know a lot of the opposition, it seems to me, much like with Prop 19, is that there's a lot of people that stand to lose a lot of money. Mm. Uh, growers, small growers, possibly dispensary owners. Uh, so there's people that have selfish financial reasons for wanting this to not go through. But those aren't the only people that right. are opposing it. There are other people that are opposing it on principle. And I would think that maybe Dennis might be one of those people. Is there an argument that it just doesn't go far enough? Is Because that seems to be like the big argument I've heard before. It's like with Prop 19 is – Oh, it's not real legalization because it doesn't go far enough. And are, are these people are they really uh, allowing the 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 perfect to become the enemy of the possible? Is it just that, or is there real legitimate, you know, problems with this? Well, there have been uh, folks that have been uh, bamboozled into this thinking that passing Prop sixty four leads to the end of Prop two fifteen. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. There will still be medical rights. You can still do that whole thing. But on a larger scale, I think that it's, I think there's just this underlying fear of change. 
that's involved in it for some people. Like, you're right. It's not all people that are just making a buck off this that stand to lose. It's also people that think that it's going to somehow harm what's going on now. It's going to harm the status quo. And if you're in California, the status quo seems pretty good. You, you can go get your uh, card from just about anybody. You can go shop at these dispensaries. Depending on where you live, you can grow. So things seem pretty good, and they're worried that that's going to end somehow. Well, legalization in the long run should end medical marijuana. The whole point of medical marijuana was the patients are getting arrested and convicted. If we legalize it enough, eventually, then nobody gets arrested and convicted, and there'll be no point for medical marijuana at that point. It'll just be marijuana. But how do we get there? Well, they think we can jump there. We can just jump right to that point. And I don't think that's possible. I think all social change throughout the history of the United States, and for the most point, the world, has been a slow accumulation of rights, a slow accumulation of changes. I, I liken these people that want to reject Prop 64 because it's only an ounce and six plants and it doesn't quite go far enough to people who would have rejected the Emancipation Proclamation because it didn't legalize interracial marriage. We'll, <laughs> we'll get there. you got to go yeah. step by step. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's incremental. Uh, it has to be. I really don't see any other way. I mean, look how long it's taken for public opinion just to reach the level it is now supporting marijuana. It's been generations, and it's been a lot of uh, obviously having to overcome lots of misinformation and propaganda and all this other stuff, which is finally you know falling by the wayside. But things happen in steps. You know, the same thing can be said. Yeah, like you said with the with slavery and the civil rights movement. I mean. There's Rosa Parks. There's you know forced integration of schools. There's the lunch counter sit-ins. There's one step at a time, fighting for every inch of ground, and we're winning. I mean, we're it's going well. Yeah. But we're still. That doesn't mean the fight's over, and that yay, we're here. You know, it's it's still going to be a struggle, and uh, this is a step. But let's let's so let's break it down a little bit. It goes basically like this. Again, the one ounce uh, allowed of flour or eight grams of cannabis concentrate. Cultivation of up to six plants. Again, this seems to be the standard that everyone's agreed upon for some reason. Um, also, industrial cultivation of hemp is allowed, I mm -hmm. see, which is actually a really cool thing. Um, great. California is filled with farms, and I, I'm sure that there's a, a lot of farmers that could would love to maybe grow some hemp. Um, and then so there's a lot of uh, positive things in the law. Give me a little rundown of some of the other good things in the law. Okay. Uh, I do want to clarify when you say the six plants, it is a limit of six plants per household. And that's something some people complain about. But I always, I always have this attitude on the one ounce and the six plants. How are they going to know? How is it that when it was completely illegal and we could be put in cages, if the cops even smelled some weed, we were still growing in our closets. We were still growing in our basements. <laughs> we were still possessing quarter pounds. But now that it's going to be legal and all the drug dogs that sniff weed will be retired and the smell of weed is no longer probable cause to start a search or a police investigation, how's it going to be worse? <laughs> <laughs> Grow what you're growing, man. When six plants are legal, that's going to be a lot harder for them to find 12. So that's one thing. But other, other good things in the law I like about uh, Prop 64 uh, is the ability for there to be licensing of uh, pot lounges, cannabis cafes, or even special events like, say, I don't know, a cannabis cup or something. You could have an actual license for that. So that would be nice to have. But I, I got to say the, the number one selling point for me on Prop 64 that none of these other laws are doing, and, and, and Oregon's came close. We, we, we've got this method for expungement and such. But in California, they're reducing all of these grow felonies, all these sales felonies, except the ones that are aggravated. You know, if you, you know, sold it to kids right. or, you know, burnt up the forest or something. Right. But your basic grow felonies, your basic sales felonies, possession with intent felonies get reduced to misdemeanors retroactively. So that That's means important. people, people yeah. who are felons now who've got that black mark on their record that prevents them from buying guns or getting jobs or whatever else become misdemeanors and are and can be expunged from their records people who were caught growing six plants or fewer that becomes legal they have no record at all anymore people who are sitting in cages right now for two three or four years for a california growth felony get that sentence reduced to six months credit for time served and get out when prop yeah. 64 passes that's the best thing for me yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things I always go to when people talk about legalization uh, and how, oh, we've been making so much progress. And 
again, I always go back to, you know, until the people that are in prison can get out, we haven't made enough progress because these people's lives have been destroyed over a plant. And, you know, I guess a lot of these people who are opposed to Prop 64 maybe never spent time in prison for cannabis because maybe if they did, they'd feel differently. I know that our friend Todd McCormick, who has been a lifelong activist and did spend time in prison for cannabis, is very much for Prop 64 and has been speaking out, you know, he's been a big vocal proponent of it for many reasons. But the main one, I think, being that he knows what it's like to be in there. He knows what it's like to have your life destroyed and have to live in a cage. And he doesn't wish that on anybody. And the the opportunity to not have any more people be put in prison and and even better, like you said, having the people that are already in there be let out. Is, is really a big deal, and it's very important. Yeah. I mean, Obama's done a lot of, he's granted a lot of clemencies, probably more than any other president in our lifetime, but it's not enough. There's still a lot of people in there, and I know our, our, our friend Sherry Sicard, who who runs uh, the Marijuana Lifer Project, will tell you there's still people in prison for life for mm-hmm. marijuana, which is absurd. So, yes, please, let's pass some laws to get these people out of prison. Yeah, I had a response uh, on social media from uh, that Jamie Kerr, who was there with Kevin Sabet at that event, who admitted that the 10% of 64 that was restorative justice for felonies was a good thing, but she couldn't support the other 90. And I just, when, you know, I spent six hours in a, in a jail for possession once, and that was six hours too many. I wear this medal from my friend Bobby Platshorn, who spent 29 years in a cage yeah. over marijuana. And these people in California that think they've got it so good, they're medical, everything's fine, we don't need to change anything, forget that not only in California are there 8,800 felonies arrests every year in that state, but throughout the rest of the United States, there are tens and hundreds of thousands of these arrests. And places like Alabama and Ohio and and Florida and Texas, they aren't going to legalize until California starts knocking that door down on the federal government. So you've got to think broader than just your own narrow what's happening in my little place in California. California is the keystone to ending this. It's the key to ending the war on drugs on not just the United States, but the whole global level. And to think that we could give California a second straight defeat in this century for legalization, to give Kevin Sabet the biggest victory he could ever wish for, I just uh, just breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a shame. California is the one of the largest economies in the world. It's the obviously one of the biggest, if not the biggest, cultural influencer of the United States. You know, possibly you could argue New York as well. But I mean, it, it is a huge. I mean, everybody looks to Hollywood, to California, to you know. And aside from that, the fact that California has been historically the place for pot in America. I mean, the best growers in the country have always come from the Emerald Triangle, Northern California. I mean, this is wine country. This is great pot growing climate, you know? Yeah. So the fact that they, California has fallen so far behind Colorado in, in some respects, uh, is kind of embarrassing as a, as a <laughs> cannabis person in, in California. Like we need to get with the program. We need to start moving forward. And, uh, they also uh, recently just passed the, um, the, was it called MRSA, yeah. which is the uh, uh, Medical uh, Marijuana Regulation and Safety Act, which is starting to put all these regulations in place. And there are people that were bitching right. about that, too. But in all honesty, I mean, how do these people think pot's going to be legalized without regulation <laughs> and with and without money being made from it? Because right. if that's your objection that, oh, it's too regulated and there's too many companies making money off of it. What what is legal in the United States that companies aren't making money on? I right. mean, how are you going to what in what world do you think you can stop that? Well, I exactly. You know, who who thought cannabis was going to be immune to the laws of supply and demand and the rules of economics, right? <laughs> but some people did. They really thought that legalization meant we keep doing everything we've been doing with no taxes, no regulations, no inspections, no nothing, and we sell it at $300 an ounce to each other and but the cops can't bust us. That's what they thought legalization was. Well, no, once something's a legal commodity, it's subject to all of economics. And I think some of these people's complaints about Prop 64 or legalization in general are really complaints about capitalism, which I agree with a lot of those yeah. complaints. But I, my point in legalizing weed isn't to solve racism or capitalism or income inequality. <laughs> it's to stop people from being messed with by the cops and going to yeah. jail over weed. That's the only problem I need to solve. 
Yeah, and we could keep fighting those other fights. Occupy America, Occupy Wall Street. I'm all behind that 100%. But pick your battles one at a time. You know, I agree. In fact, one of the main reasons pot is gaining as much ground legalization is because people with money starting to get behind it. And it, it lends a, a legitimacy in the in the minds uh, uh, and the wallets of average Americans and, and policymakers when there are companies putting money behind this and getting involved in it. It, it, yeah. it brings it to another level. Yeah, and, and, and I, I understand the economic concerns, especially when you're starting to talk to people in, in Northern California and a lot of these local economies that have grown up around this uh, cannabis trade as it's been. So I understand that. And if, if we need to understand, though, that cannabis is going to become a big business commodity, we just need to direct it toward the craft beer and wine model and less toward the cigarette kind of model. Right. And so Absolutely. we are doing that with Prop 64 because it creates these micro licenses where you can micro business licenses where you can be your own grower and seller and processor at the, at the small kind of boutique level. If you want to, uh, it forestalls the development of grows over an acre, any of these big mega grows for five years before that's going to start happening. So the existing growers can kind of get their foot in early and build their business. They got kind of a head start on that. And I really think it's going to turn out like craft beer. Uh, I'm, I'm here in Portland, Oregon, man. I, I, I could buy a Budweiser if I wanted to, but I don't think I could find one. <laughs> right? But and the, why would you? Why you would have I? so many great boutique uh, you know, tastes and flavors available. Exactly. And they've got this other part of Prop 64 that recognizes what they call regional appellations. This is your wine country thing. This is like where uh, in France, if you want to sell champagne or actually anywhere you want to sell champagne – it's got to come from the Champagne region of France. That's going to work for Humboldt, for Mendocino, for Trinity, for Emerald Triangle. All of these places are going to be able to brand their cannabis and have that brand protected and, and kind of exalted in the market. So this is a good thing if you're thinking from that small to medium size grower level. Yes, there's going to be big grows eventually, but there was always going to be big grows eventually. This is carving out a niche for some of those smaller growers. Well, it sounds pretty fair and like a pretty decent law. I mean, so other than the, the overarching objections that we mentioned earlier, the people who are worried about it hitting their pocketbook and the people who are just pure idealists who think it, it doesn't nearly go far enough, uh, there are more specific criticisms of specific aspects of it that I'd like to run through real quickly. Right. Um, one of which – and these are the ones that you debunked uh, for the most part on your post – uh, which is which are on your High Times article, which is uh, like, for instance, one, they claim that there is uh, a jail jail time for a host of harmless offenses and, and offenses that didn't exist before that exist now, including possessing more than an ounce, uh, which they say is six months in jail or a $500 fine, uh, and teens and young adults ages 18 to 20 uh, or 18 to 21 getting up to six months in jail and a $500 fine for simply sharing a joint. Now, is that accurate? No. Uh, here's what happens is when laws are written, they have to include what the current law is within the text of the new law that they're writing. You know, so they can show what they're amending, what's being changed, what's not being changed. Typically, in most states, they'll, they'll make the new stuff in italics and the old stuff is in regular print or the new stuff's in boldface or all caps or whatever. They differentiate it somehow. Some of these people, these propagandists against uh, uh, 64, are taking that not taking this text that exists already in the current law, and saying that Prop 64 makes that happen. No, that's just restating what is currently the law. In almost every case, the current law, whatever it is, becomes either legal or a lesser penalty than what it was before. There's only a couple things that go up. One is the public, uh, if you smoke weed in a non-smoking area, like a no tobacco non-smoking area, goes from a $100 fine to a $250 fine. And then uh, possession of an open container uh, in a car is a $250 fine that would have been punished by a $100 infraction ticket uh, for possession back in the day. So a couple fines go up to 150 bucks. Otherwise, a whole bunch of felonies become misdemeanors. A few misdemeanors get their penalties reduced uh, to infractions. And a few things that are currently illegal become legal. 
Well, I mean, yes, you're not allowed to smoke in public, but if there are licenses being granted for smoke lounges and coffee shops and things, you would think there there would be somewhere you could go to medicate and you wouldn't have a problem, right? That's the that's the development we hope. And of course, opponents will say, oh, well, there's all these places in California that are councils that are banning it and would never do it. Right. They're banning it now. <laughs> and then they might ban it in the future. How does that make things any worse? Why would you stop some other community that might not ban it? from moving forward on this. Right. And then, of course, another criticism, is we mentioned, of the six plants is just not enough to treat lots of serious uh, ailments. People used have now have unlimited, and you're going from unlimited to six plants. So that's another not if, criticism. Not if you're a Prop 215 patient. If you're, if you're a patient or a grower for a patient, you still get to do what is medically necessary under Prop 215. There's nothing in 64 that repeals, amends, supersedes, or changes 215. And in fact, when it mentions that six-plant limit, there's a little point that says, does not relate to the Compassionate Use Act of 1996. So it specifically says this is not the limit for patients. So I think what people are worried about, people are pointing to Washington state Mm -hmm. and saying, look at what happened there. They had medical marijuana. Everything was fairly going smooth. They passed recreational and look what happened. They shut the whole medical program down and now it's a, it's a fiasco. Patients are screwed over and they're saying the same thing is pretty much going to happen to California. The lesson of Washington isn't that legalization kills medical marijuana. The lesson of Washington is get your medical marijuana regulated before you legalize. What was going on in Washington was a a completely unregulated system of uh, co-ops and storefront dispensaries that had popped up in illegally. They they weren't uh, registered or legal under the law. And a a kind of a, a system where it was easy to get a recommendation and there was a lot of people growing a lot of weed all over the state. And when that came up against or was put up next to the I-502 system that has taxes and regulations and inspections and everything that goes with that, that put the possibility of there being a, a market that had taxes and was regulated and therefore had higher prices running alongside a medical market that didn't have all that overhead. And the legislature decided, well, all that would do is lead people to game the medical marijuana system in order to get the tax break. So they've tried to merge the two. So what happens in California is different. Like you mentioned, they passed the Medical Marijuana Regulation and Safety Act, which is now called the Medical Cannabis Regulation and Safety Act, MCRSA. So they've got their regulations in place. They've done the, the changes to the medical marijuana system that were necessary in California to avoid some of these abuses. And another thing that's different, and this is, this is something that's pointed out by the opponents as a flaw that is really kind of in a strange way, a benefit, and that is the tax. They point out that there's a 15% excise tax and a $9.25 per ounce cultivation tax that even the medical marijuana patients will have to pay. Now, they, they don't have to pay state sales tax and such or local tax, but this new excise tax they'll have to pay. And I will agree on its face, that is immoral. We should not tax people's medicine. But here's the trade-off. In California, anybody who wants to get a card can get one. Whether you got cancer or a hangnail, you can get a card. So we'd have that same situation like Washington. If patients got a tax break, the legislature would go, oh, look at this medical system that's all this tax break that all these people are gaming to go in and get their tax break and we're losing money on the rec side. Let's merge them. Let's get rid of medical. So in a sense, the 15% tax is kind of a payoff to the legislature to keep medical as easy as it is to access. Now, the fear is the the price goes up. But if you look up here in Oregon and Washington, we've got taxes of 37% in Washington. We've got taxes of uh, uh, 20% here in Oregon. And our cannabis prices are far lower than what you're finding in the California dispensaries right now. There may be an initial price raise, initial spike in prices. But the legalization in California is going to create so much production, so much competition, that the prices we see five years from now We could see $100 ounces, $75 ounces, even with the taxes. And in the long run, that would be better for patients. Wow. Yeah, and in a way, the way you you just phrased that uh, argument, the tax on the patients on the medicine actually in a way serves to bolster the patient's the Prop 215 rights and situation because of what you're saying. It Rather than everybody flooding into the medical to game it to save on the tax – 
the people who are getting medical will be the people who legitimately are patients and legitimately do need medical as opposed to people trying to game it because those people will just go to the regular dispensaries. Yeah, most of the people that uh, are, are in California visiting or just just regular old tokers are getting their card for arrest anxiety syndrome or ticket and anxiety syndrome. One of the two. They want to grow or they want to just possess, but they really just don't want to get arrested. When weed's legal and that threat goes away, a lot of these people that have been going to see the doctor every year to get their recommendation aren't going to do it anymore. They got a place to shop. They can possess weed. They can grow weed. They're cool with it. So yeah, the people that do go back and get their recommendations are going to have to be the people that legitimately need more than an ounce, uh, need to have a lot of possession, need to be able to grow a lot of plants. And that can only be good for medical marijuana by re-legitimizing it in the eyes of the public. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I don't know if we missed any of the criticisms. I think we addressed most of them. I, have you? Uh, is there anything I missed that you can think of? Or, mm, yeah, the, the the new crimes is the one of them again. Everything when they say that there's a new crime created, ask them what the penalty is now. Ask them what's uh, what would be the law now. And almost all, every time, what they're saying is going to happen is what happens now. That's one of them. The um, no, I think we I think we got them all. Cool. Well, uh, you've convinced me. <laughs> well, thank you. I know. I know how I'm going to be voting uh, on election day next week here in California. I hope that uh, all of these initiatives uh, are able to pass in the states where they are, and I hope that uh, we see a huge uh, progressive leap forward for cannabis in the United States. You know, I thought cannabis might have been uh, before all this insanity with Trump got you know got heavy. I really thought cannabis was going to be a bigger issue in the presidential election and the debates. I thought it was going to be a topic that was going to be heavily discussed. But Trump just sucked yeah. all the air out of that <laughs> argument. It's just amazing to me that this is where we're at in our politics, uh, that we have this person as the nominee. What would a Trump presidency mean for legalization? I, I think it would be a disaster. Yeah, and, and people need to recognize that the, the president's gig is really one of bureaucracy. It's really one of staffing the executive branch, staffing all these cabinet positions, these departments, these bureaus, and, of course, judges as well. So think back to George W. Bush and that guy's uh, – determination that an Arabian horse show judge should run the Federal <laughs> Emergency Management Association. A, a horse show judge should run FEMA. And look what that did to New Orleans when Hurricane Katrina hit, when they were incompetent and incapable of helping people dying in our streets, drowning in New Orleans. That's what can happen when an incompetent president makes an incompetent pick for a very critical federal department. So imagine a Donald Trump picking the attorney general, the head of the DEA, the head of the ONDCP, Treasury, Supreme Court nominees. <laughs> yeah, I mean, disaster, right? Trump himself might not give a shit about marijuana. He might think it's fine. He might not care. <laughs> he might not care, right? But the people he picks will probably care because he has already been on record uh, – when they reached out to Huckabee, they, uh, his, Donald Trump Jr. said that basically the vice president would be in charge of everything domestic and foreign while Donald was making America great again. So the vice president might be doing a lot of this. And Mike Pence, look that guy up. Oh, my yeah. God. This guy is retrograde. Yeah. Well, uh, Michael Moore is convinced Trump's going to win. I sincerely hope he's wrong. What do you think? Do you think uh, – I don't think he's going to win. I don't think he's going to win, but I don't think his followers are going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what worries me. I think the way the Electoral College is stacked up against him, I can't see him pulling 270 electoral votes. The scenario I fear at this point is enough third-party uh, defection to pull Hillary Clinton down into a, uh, just a plurality win. Like her husband, when, she, when he won in 92, he only got 43% of the vote because there was Perot and Bush he was running against. So if she gets in with like 43 and Trump got, say, 40, then all these Trumpkins are going to say how close it was and how 57% of the country didn't want Hillary Clinton. And there we go. We're all back to gridlock. Yeah, and something tells me that even if he loses, uh, Trump is not going to uh, go gently into that good night. He's going to uh, contest. He's going to continue to be a big mouth and try to influence. Look at how, look at the Palin effect. Sarah yeah. Palin, 
you know, after the election was over, she was still blathering on, making no sense in the media for months and months and months, years even, pretending to have credibility and and uh, trying to affect policy and public discourse. And uh, it was a disaster. Thankfully, she has faded from any relevance and she's now a curiosity. Uh, Let's hope that the same thing happens to Trump. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Russ, I wish you a lot of luck with your election night coverage. I will definitely be uh, tuning in and checking it out. Uh, I'm curious and real excited to see what happens with all the uh, cannabis races. Um, Let everybody know uh, where they can uh, find you online and see and hear you. Yeah, uh, my show, The Russ Belville Show, is on uh, weekdays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on CannabisRadio.com. It's been called the NPR of POT. We get uh, talk radio and news and interviews and analysis and rants. It's great stuff every weekday. The election night coverage will be on Tuesday, uh, November 8th at uh, 3 p.m. Pacific. We're running for six hours because we got to cover all the different time zones. We're going to have uh, campaign spokespeople, celebrities, athletes, opponents even, a bunch of people to talk to, policy experts as well. Uh, check that out on Marijuana Election Night, hashtag MJ Election Night on CannabisRadio.com. Cool. Well, uh, Russ, thanks so much for uh, taking time to talk with us today and helping us uh, sort out this uh, mess of uh, the Cali legalization law and also uh, just helping us uh, educate all of our listeners on on what's going on in the country uh, and and how they should be voting on elections. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Bobby. All right, everybody. Well, regardless of where you stand on the issues or who you plan to vote for, I sincerely hope you all Get out there to the polls next Tuesday and vote. Voting is not only your right as a citizen of a democratic nation, it is also your responsibility. So get out there, make your voice heard. If you'd like to learn more about Russ Bilville and read about his breakdown of the issues, you can find all that information on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash blazing with Bobby Black. You can also follow me on social media, Twitter at Bobby Black. Facebook and Instagram at Bobby Black 420. And that's it for this week's edition of Blazin. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in and talking up with us again. Until next time, this is Bobby Black saying, Blaze on, brothers and sisters. Blaze on.